The Legacy of John Williams. Celebrating the music and the art of Maestro John Williams. This is Maurizio Cascata and welcome to a new installment of the Legacy Conversation on the Legacy of John Williams podcast. This episode is also available as a video podcast on our YouTube channel. And here with me, my co-host and associate producer, Tim Burden. Hi, Tim. How are you doing? Yes. Hello, Maurizio. Great to be here with you and uh, indeed with our esteemed guests because we're talking about a project uh, and a, a theme and a subject which is so passionate. A great interest for all of us. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we are so happy to have here today to talk about the legacy of John Williams in terms of the presentation of his music in the concert hall. And to do so, we have here two very distinguished guests. The first is a true ambassador of film music, composer and conductor David Newman. Hi, Dave. Nice to see you and welcome to the legacy of John Williams. Thank you. Nice to be here. Yeah. Welcome back. Yeah, well, Dave was with us on a couple of other occasions in the past, and we are always very happy to have him on the show. And the second guest is another esteemed uh, film music expert, film journalist, Tim Graving, finally on the Legacy of John Williams podcast. Hi, Tim. Nice to have you. Hello. Yes, Tim. Good to... Nice to be here. Nice to make my, uh, my virginal debut. <laughs> no, it's so great to have you here because, you know, in addition to being a very, you know, profound connoisseur of film music, you are now working on the first biography of John Williams. So there's plenty to talk about on that front as well. But, you know, first we are here today, like I was saying, uh, to discuss the uh, the legacy of John Williams in terms of uh, film music in concert. And the jumping off point for, for this is the upcoming concert that is being performed by the LA Phil conducted by David Newman at the Walt Disney Concert Hall on February 2, 3 and 4 that will feature a program called A Century of Film Music, a thrilling selection of film pieces by some of the finest composers who ever wrote music for the movies. The concert is part of a new series of the LA Phil called John Williams Spotlight and it's curated by Maestro Williams himself. It's important to say this concert does not feature projections of film clips of any kind, as often is the case, but will be performed as pure music. So Dave, I'd love to kick off the conversation with you and because as we discussed on some of our previous conversations, uh, we live now in an era where film music is more popular than ever in the concert hall. And, but that being said, it's not always easy to put together a program of film music like this one. And I'm sure it was quite a challenge to include some of the best film music written over the last 90 years without actually leaving out something important. The program looks varied and exciting enough to give an actual concrete sample of the incredible diversity and beauty of, that is found in film music. 
Um, so for many years, film music was truly frowned upon or even ostracized by the classical musical elite, so to speak. So uh, what were your reasons for putting together this program with the help of John Williams? Um, well, I didn't, this is really John's curated program, as you indicated. Um, it's just one of four concerts. There's, I think, three films with live orchestra this year season. There's only this one. Um, we we did um, you know we did include some stuff that was a little bit off the radar. My brother Thomas Newman. We're going to do a piece of his that I don't think has ever been done. I'm really particular. I particularly love Alex North's score to Spartacus. I think it's a masterpiece in in, in every sense of the word. Um, we could argue about what that means. Why? What is the film music masterpiece? Um, but it is. It is basically one of the scenes complete uh, that where the music really does kind of tell the story of, 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 of the, the slaves in the middle of their revolt marching on a certain place in, in, in Italy. And, and then it, it morphs into the end of the main title, which also is a very story um, cue uh, with the, I think Saul Bass did the, the Right, did the, the, the things, you know, like at the end when when the militaristic music goes almost it goes up and down and up and down, you know, and and then it just kind of falls apart at the end with the cracking of the the face, you know. That's an interesting symbolic metaphoric concept of like, you know, what is Alex North doing in the main title of Spartacus? What's he what's he saying about it? What is the slave revolt? Uh, it's doomed, isn't it? it? It has a certain pathos, but it also has a certain joy there. Would, would they rather be free as free men instead of slaves for you know, a short amount of time or live their whole life as slave, you know, those kinds of concepts. And I think the music that Alex did on that is really profoundly tells that story with a, with a, uh, it, I wouldn't say the surface is simple, but it's, it's, it's accessible and manageable, but underneath it, the rise and fall, like the rise and fall of the emotions and the rise and fall of the fortunes of the, of the slave revolt, you know, all that is, is, is wrapped in. So I'm, I'm, I've only done the main title of Spartacus in, in the eighties, like late eighties at a Sundance concert. So I was really thrilled uh, to, to, to do that, you know? Um, and, and there are a couple of others, but, but, you know, this is, a, this is John's uh, sense, you know, they're, 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 we're starting with Captain Blood, which I think is 1935. And then the, the farthest we go is Tom's piece, which is I think 2017. Is that right? 17, 18, something like that. Yeah. 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 We have, you. yeah, we have some, you know, we have been, you know, we have some other stuff in, in between and et cetera, et cetera. So. 
Yes, it seems to me that the, the program is, is very exciting. You know, I even created a playlist on Spotify that yeah. is for all of you to check. I'll, I'll put the link in the description. And it seems to me that the first half of the program is centered around the more golden age of Hollywood from the 1930s to the early 60s with music by Korngold and Alfred Newman and Bernard Herrmann, Franz Waxman, Miklos Roja, Alex North, Maurice Jarre. And while the second half instead goes from this 1970s or late 60s, early 70s to the more recent years with selections by Jerry Goldsmith, Ennio Morricone, Nino Rota, Alan Silvestri, Thomas Newman, Daniel Elfman, and of course, John Williams. So mm. was the program constructed as a sort of, you know, to give a contrast between pieces or is, was, it was more a, a journey through, I mean, uh, several decades of film music? I, I again, we, we went back, I, I did do a couple of drafts of programs. There's just, like you said, there's so much to choose from. There are so much important film music that isn't on it because there's just too much uh, to do. So I think we wanted something from the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, you know, each decade. Um, and, but it, you know, we're on the edge of it being too long for one concert as it is. And you can, of course, there's, as you, no, there's tons that's left out that that could be in there. I mean, like, I'm very glad that we're doing Captain Blood, which I wasn't as familiar with. I've done Robin Hood a bunch of times, you know, but Captain Blood's the first thing really that Corngold does. And I just didn't, it's a really good score. I mean, I, I, I love Robin Hood too, but I think I prefer Captain Blood in a way. It's kind of Corngold meshing his operatic Viennese style that just fits somehow perfectly into American film music. I mean, I, I don't know. I, he seems really invested in Captain Blood. I don't know how invested he was as, as he went on because of his peculiar biography. He was so famous. So I'm, I love getting a chance to study this. I watched the movie, um, which I, I don't think I've ever watched, or if I did, I didn't, you know, remember it. And I think Errol Flynn's pretty good, and it's kind of funny and weird. Um, it doesn't feel like a Hollywood. It, it feels more like an early '30s movie. You know, there's a lot of cards describing what's going on that are legacies of silent film. I mean, it does. It does like Robin Hood already seems like a like a Hollywood film that we would recognize as a golden age film. Um, uh, Captain Blood seems like sort of an origin story. So I, I, I'm really glad to do that. And I'm I, I'm glad to see how he used, all, you know, we're just doing basically the main title, which has a lot of the themes and stuff in it, but it's really interesting in the way that he uses it during the film. And then, you know, he, and then he interpolates list and other things, which is a silent film thing. Not that they didn't do it later, but, it's really a, it's really a silent film thing at that point to interpolate something like that, but it's done very skillfully, and um, so I'm excited about I'm excited about doing that. Mm, now that, that's a stunning score. It's the, the the kind of whenever you're talking about the interpolation, the way the theme throughout the film, the it's kind of the horn call, isn't it? It's the da 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 da, beautifully beautifully yeah. realized. And, uh, you know, and that overture, I and mean, we are talking about, obviously, the concert hall and what a piece made to start a yeah. concert. Fantastic yeah. Uh, opening. Yeah. Yeah. 
And you can hear Dakota, you can hear all his 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 Viennese sense of harmony and lushness, and um, and yet th- there's pathos in it. And and I mean, imagine Cornwall's life in the 30s. You know, it, 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 we have to imagine like the late 20s and 30s, what's going on in America. You know, that this is this is the this is the DNA of movies, is this horribly painful time in America, and then these movies that are just gloriously uh uh looking forward and fun and and the good guy wins and and uh optimistic basically you know and they're i guess they're they're pretty inexpensive and you know corn goals leaving under this horrible thing that's happening in europe and i'm sure he wouldn't have ever come if it wasn't for that but thank god for us because him in the soup with Al New Alfred Newman and Waxman and and the and, and Tomkin and the rest of them really stirred the pot, um, and 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 making that style that lasted for you know what twenty years before it kind of collapsed. Anyway, I'm I'm talking too much. So yeah, <laughs> no, but it, it, it's all it, good. It, it, it's always fascinating to hear talking, Dave, because you you have this great sense of perspective and historical perspective on on the evolution of film music. And what you said made me think about how much this repertoire hasn't been performed very much. I mean, Korngold's music hasn't been th- that much performed in L- even in LA by the yeah. LA field. So these are kind of firsts in many ways. And 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 this is where I want to bring in Tim Tim Grieving. Because, Tim, a few months ago, you wrote a great long-form piece for the Alta online magazine, where you kind of trace back the, 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 the history of the last 20 years in Los Angeles when it comes to film music performance. You also speak with John Williams about this, and, and it's fascinating to see how things changed throughout the course of just 20 years, which is not a long time, but it's long enough to have a sense of trajectory in many ways. Uh, so given also your position as a prime film music journalist in Los Angeles, how do you see how much the landscape changed according to your own experience? It's changed dramatically just in the last, I think, 15, 20 years. Um, I mean, the fact that like the New York Philharmonic, Vienna, Berlin, these kinds of places are embracing film music as uh, part of their programming without without uh, putting an asterisk next to it and kind of holding their nose. I mean, I think there's still a little bit of that, but it's been, it's been a, a, I mean, Dave can attest to this and Dave is part of the driving force for this, but it has been a dramatic shift in not just seeing and hearing film music program more consistently across the U S and across the world, including major kind of traditionally very snobby orchestras um, but just the general attitude about it, you have, you know, high, high level music directors like Gustavo Dudamel and and people like him really championing this kind of music. So and I, I from my perspective as a journalist, just getting stories about film music kind of out in mainstream places is not an uphill battle so much. So I, it, it's been a relatively recent, I think, sea change and just a cultural uh attitude about this music and a cultural awareness of it, an excitement about it. Obviously it's doing gangbusters for uh, selling tickets and bringing in younger audiences to these concerts. So it's really, it's a, it's a, I mean, Dave has a, a, a longer view of this, but it, it really seems like a, a dramatic kind of windfall in just that short period of time. 
things happen so slow in organizations like these. Remember, they're they're generally close to 100 years or older than 100 years old. And it just takes a long, you know, Mahler never used to be in the repertoire, in the canon. And it and it, it it took till the 50s and 60s and most famously with Bernstein. You can, and that movie Meister sort of alludes, alludes to this. I think something else, Tim, that you referenced in your article, I think it was a quote of John talking about the musicians or just generally seeing how film music goes from the beginning of a film to the end that you hear the whole thing rather than just the theme or something. And John said that that was a really important thing that these musicians start hearing when they do the whole film. They, they don't just hear the themes. They hear how the themes are used. They hear how it, it, it react, how it, it affects the story. And they're not just doing it one time. You know, there's a couple of rehearsals, two or three performances, and they're doing this maybe two to four times a year, depending on the orchestra, for 10 years, 15 years, you know, and they start to understand what what it is just by simply playing it. And this has never, ever happened because it doesn't really fit into their model. Their model is playing concert music for a live audience, but it's now morphed into this other model where the technology made it so easy that you could do it so we can so i'm just speaking sort of to tim's point that the last 15 years have been hugely um uh moving forward in in this aspect and 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 also being able to look at it as an art form and and kind of maybe not by talking to them but they just you just sort of by osmosis understand what the art of it is you know there there are all kinds of you you can hierarchy you know art per se but um, anything can be artful if it really is artful, you know, and, and there's a minuscule amount of it, even, even film music that is good that we really want to hear. But there's so much of it that's good because there's been so much of it written the same as classical music. And to just the last point is that I think the whole concept of being snobby is, is, is as much as all of us are kind of snobby is really an anathema to Hollywood in general because you just never it, it if you work in Hollywood everything is so chaotic and something that seems to be kitschy and terrible turns out to be incredible and something you think is incredibly artful and high art turns out to be crap you know so I think our little DNA and our little world here in LA and Los Angeles doesn't like the snobby part of of the of the kind of DNA of most arts organizations that are 100 years old. So it's an interesting concept. Anyway. No, but actually what you just said is makes me think about how John Williams himself was a truly a trailblazer in that regard back in the 1980s when he accepted the post at the Boston Pops. And of course, this is very much common known story, but I mean, it was a gamble for him in many ways to go to such an institution and to be so greatly exposed also to a public audience, to a set of people, to a set of audiences that were very strict in terms of what they were expecting. And slowly but steadily, he started to bring in film music into the traditional format of the Pops program, which is a different kind of programming than the standard symphonic repertoire, as we know. But slowly and steadily, he did that and made people 
accepting film music as part of the vernacular of symphonic music of written in the 20th century. Very much so. And, you know, one of the key things which I loved in, in Tim's article is as well, near the end of the paragraph, uh, you talk about, you know, Dudamel or, or, or the dude apparently is referred to. Is that right? <laughs> I didn't know that. Not by me, but by some. Big Lebowski flashback. But I, uh, yes, I mean, it's a very valid point. Of course, he is uh, flying the nest of L.A., as you as you rightly highlight, and going to New York Philharmonic. And I guess um, for for New York, obviously, that's going to be hopefully an embarrassment of riches because I, I'm guessing he's going to bring that um, love of of film to New York. I mean, Dave and Tim, would you would you agree with that? I hope so. I think Dave's already kind of cracked the the seal on that because he's done West Side Story, and True, I flew yeah. to New York to hear to hear Return of the Jedi with the New York Philharmonic with Dave conducting and. They they have this whole art. I think art of the score series yeah. and so they they do a lot. Yeah, mm. yeah. So it, it's not it's not a totally uphill battle at this point in their in their history. But I think Dudamel is such a passionate uh, fan of John Williams in particular and and of other great film music that I think I'm I'm interested to see how he starts to bring that in there. Yeah, I think they yeah, actually absolutely. do more. They do more there than they do. I mean, L.A. L.A. has the bowl, you know, n- none of these other or well, Boston has Tanglewood um, and they do films there sometimes. But um, and L.A. does most of their film stuff at the bowl. They're just sort of starting to do it at Disney Hall. They they, they have issues because of the festival seating that they can't. There's like 700 tickets that they can't sell. So it greatly reduces the size of the hall. So it makes it financially harder to do. But New York is always. Um, They've always been doing. There's a rabid audience in New York for film music. I mean, of all the places I've been, I mean, the bowl. The bowl is still probably, you know, just because of the nature of what it is. Um, and 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 the John Williams night at the Hollywood Bowl. There's nothing in the world like that. I mean, it's completely insane, you know. Um, but New York Phil and, and Chicago Symphony has a big series. Yeah, uh, they, they all do. If, you, if yeah. you Google. I don't know if somebody Tim has done this has made a database of all the film concerts that are going on. I I remember there was somebody that used to do it, but yes. there's literally few movies Tim in concert. Mo- movies in concert. NL. It's this um, this chap from uh, Sweden uh, called Flip, who's very passionate. And yes, uh, this website uh, he creates all of the listings uh, worldwide for every film music concert. Yeah. And yes, and it's, it's gigantic, right? I mean, it, it it's, yeah, it's, it's mind blowing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's it's really turned a corner. I hope it's only in its infancy. And I know Tim and I, we've discussed this a little bit to kind of widen the net a bit and not it, it does sell really well. But it would be nice to be able to widen the net, do a little more obscure stuff. They might have to market a little bit more. They might have to hire somebody that knows how to build an audience for this stuff as an adjunct to what they do. I'm hoping that that will happen because there's a lot of music that does not get played that should be played that we all, we all, of course, as aficionados or collectors, you know, know about. This program, the, the golden age angle to this program is very unique, certainly to, to all of you. There's very little golden age film music that gets programmed over here in the UK and Ireland. I can tell you that. I mean, apart from the odd, film music and concert there, there might be you know the odd psycho or there's vertigo live to picture but 
this this program that um, you know you're you're part of, and that, as you say, John Williams has devised is uh, is really quite dynamic in its uh, in its concept. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I also think that you know to pick up on on a thing that you mentioned, Dave, about you know to widen the nets of the the great pieces that are maybe it's not the the, the big issue is that a lot of those pieces aren't really readily available to perform because you know, there is still a lot of work to do in terms of uh, getting the score properly prepared and re-engraved. So how much of that work yeah. is uh, there is to do to, to yeah. be, you know, I mean, uh, is it a daunting task in many ways or or is there already a quite a, a wide repertoire available to perform no, for no, us? It's, it's a terribly daunting task. I mean, our, the, the issue with film music is availability of materials to, for a researcher, a journalist, a scholar. And then for a performer, it's how do you even go about, you know, you see some, what if you want to do the music from the Night of the Hunter? What's that? William Schumann, that great score for the Robert Mitchum movie. You know, there's that scene where she's dead under the water and it's all, you know, this weird waltz. If you want to do that and you're like somebody in Belfast or, or in Asia or somewhere, how do you even go about doing that? When I was working, I was hoping the Academy Library would do something like this. It would be great if there was a bully, somebody that had a bully pulpit, so to speak, like the Academy could have, to kind of try to get this going in some way that made sense. Um, and I'm not, maybe that will happen. You know, again, everything moves at a snail's pace. We'd all like it to move faster, but it's, it's a horrible problem. And here's the other problem. And Tim and I have talked about this a lot. You can't really tell what music is doing until you take it away. Remember Tim, uh, uh, John was saying last week about the Gene Kelly thing and about, um, uh, uh, Salinger, uh, um, uh, the, the, or the orchestrator that. Conrad never, Salinger. Yeah. Cause John loves him. Uh, um, he thinks he's the greatest of the uh, orchestrator rangers in, in Hollywood. And he talked about, look at the film of, of, of Gene Kelly dancing without the music and then put the music back in. And even though, yes, he's, you know, it's, it's, it's in a way not a fair thing to do because nobody dances without music. But he said it makes him look light. What did he say to him, like light and elegant? And do you remember what he said? I don't remember exactly. Something like that. Just how much the music actually is 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 making that scene come alive and work. Right. And and you don't notice it when it's there, but you take it away and you watch it and then you put it back and then you notice what it does. And if you wanted to say what is the art of film music, aside from making compelling music and pretty melodies, much of what film music is doing is that. I think that's a great example uh, and, and an easy one to comprehend. Gene Kelly looks kind of boxy maybe and not not elegant. You put the music in and it's like he's floating, you know. He it, it, it and, and you don't it you don't is it the orchestration? Is it the the changes in harmony? You know, and, and this would be the thing to study. It's like what is it if you were a scholar or, te you know, what is going on with, with that to, to make that? I mean, John said some great things at that, at that, um, I think it was filmed, wasn't it, Tim? I think, uh, Stephen, yeah, yeah it, it's, everybody should watch what he said at that place. It, it was spot on what he said about what 
all of us that do this think about this, about the, the, the space, the stages in Hollywood, the people that came before, how, how much of a siren call film music is, how much we love it. And, and, and devoting a life to it, how how great, you know, satisfying it is, et cetera. He just encapsulated it in about a 10 minute speech. It was fantastic. But what you're yeah. what you're what you're highlighting, Dave, is that there there's kind of this like education gap in the public uh, and with, I think, classical organizations too. neither really understands what film music is, its history, what it what it's contributing, which John has made an effort to provide that with with the pops i know he like on your program there's the scherzo for motorcycle and orchestra which yeah. he famously does that without music they screen this they screen the sequence or they screen the the opening train sequence from last crusade maybe that's more frequent but and then yeah. he'll, he'll play the music with the scene and shows the audience which i'm sure it's just as educational for the musicians in most of these cases too but people don't understand, they still don't understand. I mean, because I teach film music history. I understand right. this just on the ground level of, of like young 18 to 22 year olds. They don't, even though they, they hear film music all the time, every day, they don't understand what it is, how important it is, what what goes into it. So it, it almost feels like we need to like prepare the ground for these like ideal concerts that we want to have yeah. by educating everybody not you know on, on all sides of the equation what film music is yeah yeah that that's absolutely true yeah that's a great point tim because and again we, we're talking about materials how do you do that when i get a film when i'm doing a film i get all the tracks separate so i can just mute the music so i can show i could show i mean were it allowed you could show you know i, I think we talked about this tim the end the beginning of et without the music and with the music you can mute it, show it, unmute it, show it, talk about it, mute it, show, you, you know, in, a, in an educational situation. And I think a couple of years before the pandemic, um, I did a concert, you know, with John at the Bowl where I, you know, did the first half and Spielberg was there. And they did that, Tim, the, the um, they did the opening of, of, of that's the third one, Most right? That, yeah. yeah. And, and Stephen kind of sat there and sort of, I, I wouldn't say he made fun of it, but he kind of, uh, you know, because I know he's looking at it and going, uh, it feels so slow. Everything feels so slow, you know, and he was, you know, making fun of it. And then John played the 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 cue. So you get some of the sense of, of, of what it is. But again, that's a very rarefied occasion. That's, you know, maybe you'll see one concert like that. It would just be great to be able, and there's certainly the technology for this, for film students or serious scholars or people writing bio, you know, serious people that are studying this to be able to do this and speak, you know, and speak about us. It's like, why does he call it scherzo for motorcycle and orchestra? Like even that question is almost every movie John does, he does a what he calls like a vaudeville, like a fun. And yeah. it would be, I, I've never heard him like explain exactly why he does that. Is he looking that it's, will be good in concert or, or, or is it, it how does it fit into the whole, you know, thing? I think, even, I think even it, that's fun. Yeah. I think that's because I think that changed quite dramatically when he, after he accepted the Boston Pops post, when he had yeah. that platform where he was allowed to, 
you know, to present his own music in, in a concert setting. And so he started to extend a little bit some of the pieces and adding maybe a little bit, maybe a couple of bars here or there to give gave them a more proper, you know, concert-like um, form. And, and in that regard, how much do you think, uh, Dave, film music should be or must be re repurposed to be presented properly yeah. on a concert I, stage? I'm an originalist. I I I would just prefer to hear it the way it, it was written. It, it, yeah, okay, so like we're doing the hunt, the 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 hunt scene from um Planet of the Apes. We're going to do we're going to do we're going to start with Batman, the second half. And you know Batman, the original score of Batman has eight horns, six trumpets, six trombones and two tubas. Wow. And the reason the reason it has that, right? Is if you think of the Batman theme as a as a marching band, it's like it's like okay, so a marching band has a million trump, you know, and um, and, and and so we're doing that right, and then we're going to do Close Encounters, which is sort of an amalgamation of arrangement because it's it's and it's very um, it's it's one of John's really modernistic scores. Or there are a lot of other modernist, you know, if you think of images, if you think of some of the Altman stuff he did, there there's more, you know, there's a lot. In the past, you know, John Williams existed before Jaws and Star Wars. It's just nobody, very, you know, very few very things few. are played. And then, and then, like the hunt is the is what's in the movie, except it doesn't have a good ending. So okay, so if you have to do a little bit to make an ending or something, I'm okay with that. But again, that's just my opinion. I. I and, and this is not 1980 either. We're, we're now 2024 where John has like slogged his way almost by himself this into existence. I, 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 I really, I, it, it's so weird because there's one person that did this. He, he's the right person with the right director at the right time in the right place to do this. And he did it. Uh, it selflessly, I think, in a way, because when you hear him talk about this, that Tim and I heard at this um, op uh, at this dedication, you can tell he loves this. This is important to him. This legacy is important, and and so I'm on the I'm on the fence. I can certainly see the other side of it. I'm not dogmatic about it. It's just my inclination would be to do. That's why I like doing the whole movies, akin to what you know John, in a sense, was saying. Because I think it. It shows the musicians who are the first line of trying to convince them that this is worth it. And then, you know, it hasn't really worked its way up into the admin in in as much as it is in the orchestras in these organizations. It needs to it needs to filter up to the, to yes. the top. <laughs> But yeah, no, but that's quite interesting actually, Dave, because this reminds me about the, another great. Uh, experiment, we should say, that you made last year, I think, in San Diego, where you performed the two cues from John Williams' score from The Accidental Tourist, which isn't a score that is often performed, and actually yeah. is one of my own personal favorite, actually. And you performed the whole finale cue and the end yeah. credits yeah. as pure yeah. music without the, without the movie. So well, you just it, it played the piece. Been, it probably would have been better with the movie. I tried to explain it in my... I don't know how successful my, I mean, I think I talked for almost six minutes uh, because I thought it was not comprehensible. And it, 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 I, I think it's one of his, 
finest scores. I think it is a very compressed kind of com- composerly uh, formalized way of scoring a, a, a film. I thought that the end cue is the only cue that flowers and develops. And then what's so interesting is the end title. It's like the movie's continuing. It's the end. The end title is joyous, but it's young. It's a little, you know, he's melted. He is with this girl, this tragedy has, he's gone on the, a little bit, the other side, but it's like, he's like an adolescent just starting his life again. So all this stop pain's going to happen to who knows what's going to happen. So, but it's joyous because, you know, and, and I think all that's told with the end title. And of course it bookends with those little, you know, I, I, I just love that piece. I, I, um, yeah. And, and I'm going to do a concert in San Diego again. Um, I've, I've been actually talking to Tim a little bit about it. I'm trying to find what to do. They want to do this again. They want to do a John Williams concert where we maybe, you know, do something that hasn't been done. Maybe we can do seven to 10 minutes of something and then, you wow. know, and then do all, and then do all the, all the, hits, you know? <laughs> right. but so I'm trying to figure out, you know, so anybody that has, you know, Tim sent me some ideas. Uh, anybody that has any ideas, let me know. So yeah, well, well <laughs> I think that we all, we all three uh, have uh, quite a long list of pieces that we'd love to to hear perform live as pure music because that that's the other thing. It's wonderful to to present these cues as pure music because they are just wonderful. And I'm I'm always I'm also thinking about something from AI, which is another score that I think all of us love very much. And, um, but also, I don't know, even the end title from Space Camp, which is a yeah. minor movie from the 80s, but it has a fantastic, brilliant piece for the end credits that it would be a wonderful capper for any, any symphonic concerts. I mean, it's great. They're great. They really took to this. It sold really well. Um, people, I got a lot of nice feedback, not always on my talk, but, you know, um, uh, and they're going to do it again. And this would be, this is something I think, and, and they want it to be a premiere. They want to pay for it. They want it to be their own. This is what they're giving to their audience yes. in San Diego. And and why not in, you know, San Francisco or in St. Louis or in, you know, Belfast or in, you know, these are the kinds of things I think hopefully will, you know, when I say widen the net, I mean, okay, so we're doing it with John, which I don't know how much his net needs to be widened, but um, I think that's a positive, uh, it's a positive thing. Well, I was, I was there at San Diego and it was brilliant. I mean, the music itself was brilliant. Hearing something that is very rare, although I'm familiar with it because I adore that score, but hearing that live was, was incredible. And whether six minutes was too long, I thought your, your introductory remarks were so insightful you you kind of set the audience up with here's what's happened in this story up till now here's what's here how john williams has uh, built the score until now and here's what you're about to experience and that's the education part that i i love it when you conducted the bowl it's not just that you're a great conductor but you're so passionate about this art form you're so knowledgeable and insightful about this art form you have such a deep reading of these scores and these films that you can provide this education and it doesn't feel dry. And it, yeah. it reminds me of Bernstein. He was such a great like educator and evangelist for, for classical music. He conveyed not just to children, but to all audiences. Yeah. Here's what's happening here. Like 
give, giving you the clues as to what to listen to in the music, listen for, here's what the composer was doing, why this piece mattered so much to the composer. That's what you're doing for film music. And that's, I think, the, the, that's the bridge that we need to cross to get people prepared so they can actually hear and appreciate the, the music. And you say we don't need to cast the, the net wider for John. In a way, you're right. But The Accidental Tourist is, is a case in point of the repertoire that is completely untouched, that only yeah. people only know Superman and Star Wars and, and just the yeah, things. Right. They know these beautiful masterworks of, yeah. of uh, you know, spanning decades. So if you just yeah. started with John Williams and made yeah. that your kind of educational project, it, it would take decades to to do a cheap, yeah. probably. I, I tried for years, you know, to get Axel Tourist in one of the bowl concerts. He just, I don't think he likes the score all that much. I I, I think I mean, he, he did it once God, in Japan with the Boston Pops. Way I think back he did it a couple of times 90s. with the Pops. It was, a, yeah, I, I think, did. a concert arrangement yeah. of the main That's, theme. Yeah, it was like, it wasn't this, it wasn't, it was just the theme, you know? Yes. And, mm. I mean, the theme's interesting, but it, it it's, it's, what he does with the theme at the end of the movie. And it, it's, yes, so, it's, it's so easy to, you know, this guy's completely, in, you know, dead inside. And then he wakes up and John does this, you know, and nothing, there's no hardly any dialogue. He's just, it's just it's modulated. It's doing all these things that it never did. It never modulated. It never, it was the same thing. It was just stuck over and over and over this theme. And then, you know, so I, I it's... I love that's it. very nice of you to say, Tim. I I I um I I do love it, and I wish for educators like yourself and journalists that all this stuff, this these materials were available. It's kind of embarrassing that our community, and particularly the academy, which has the money to do this, does not take this as seriously as it should be taken. They have a lot of stuff at that library. They have a lot of people working there and they could there would be lots and lots of people, probably some of your students that would love to intern or work at the Academy Library and help putting this stuff together and, and finding it and, and putting it in, you know, engraving it in these computer programs where it's never going to get lost. You know, it's going to it's going to be digital. So I don't know what to do about that. I tried for three years, but I, I got nowhere with it. So. Yeah. Well, you, did but, you talk to Warren Shirk? Were you, were you speaking? Yeah, Warren yeah. It's just he's it, it. There's just so much to do. They, yeah. They're just it, it. It. You you have to you have to be a good politician. <laughs> you'd have to get your own. You'd have to get funding. You'd have to get some okay. outside funding, and then they put in some funding, and you'd have to have a really cogent plan as to what to do, and then there would have to be a committee of people like Tim and Burlingame and. Maybe you're, you know, a, a bunch of people that was like a board and like, it's a whole thing. Yeah. So, you know, it's a, it's, fun, it's so, but it, it, it doesn't mean it shouldn't be done. And that's, that would help solve the problem. And maybe it will get done in the future. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. As you said, there's so much to do. And also even just from the historical perspective of, you know, taking these scores and studying them and understand even the, the beauty of something like the, the performance aspect that 
the, the, is usually tied within the what the people remember from these schools. And, and this is something not usually discussed because and now we have the luck of have many of those recordings available and nicely restored by people like Mike Medicino. And I think it's key to understand how much that side of things, I mean, the, how this music was originally recorded and performed uh, is crucial to understand how it also informed the, the music of someone like John Williams, who was there on the stage in the 1950s, uh, hearing this, the beautiful sound of the 20th Century Fox Orchestra yeah. conducted by your father, Alfred Newman, uh, yeah. making these beautiful mm -hmm. sounds and, and absorbing a tradition, an essence that goes way back to the, of course, the European classical tradition of the 19th century, but it was con really continued and brought, being kept alive by the first the generation of the Newmans and the Korngolds and the Steiners and so on, and then by the Williamses and the Goldsmiths. And, and yeah. today, maybe there aren't <laughs> many of those today alive, but I mean, there's, that's the other reason why the, it's so important to do these projects of restoration and preserving this history. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, performance is a big, is, is, is a big deal. Um, it's very hard to do golden age um, recording the way that it was recorded because the, 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 particularly the string players don't, don't play like that anymore. And quite frankly, film music is just, is um, it's, it's morphed into something different, which is a not, not, I'm not, I'm not, saying that as a pejorative but it's it it doesn't it doesn't need playing like that anymore it it's it's a different it's a different sort of thing and that's a, that's a whole nother conversation it's not really what we're talking about to recreate golden age is and i can't i just cannot i can't do anything in my father's the way i would like to, it's just impossible Mm. The, 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 it's so it's so specific to a group of people and a conductor. I just listened to um, the, I, I'd never seen the Count of Monte Cristo, which I think is thirty five. I, I think Alfred Newman's not even credited on that movie. The playing on it is just it's spectacular. The string playing, and and even it's even well recorded, even though it's you know kind of primitive in a way. Um, but there's so much sliding and, and, and it's, it's overwrought to our ears in a way, though, of course, it blends in perfectly with the movie. I mean, that Captain Blood's a little like that, too. But Alfred Newman was sort of like, you know, uber, uber like that. So yes. it's difficult. <laughs> you know, when we were talking about the, the concert at um, Disney Hall, you have Wuthering Heights, you know, by your father, which is uh, that beautiful uh, longing uh, theme, which is uh, the, the essence of good film music, of course, you know, has beautiful writing for strings. And whenever we talked earlier about uh, AI and, you know, the deep cuts of John Williams, uh, of where, you know, talking about accidental tourist, I remember there was a comment, um, Karen Smith, John Williams librarian, made to us a few years ago, that whenever John Williams performed AI at the Hollywood Bowl one time, he he came off after performing it and said to Karen that, uh, you know, I don't think they they liked that at all because, but everyone was spellbound by it. And for some reason, he didn't expect that reaction, which is fascinating. So I suppose it leads to, to, to a question for, for you, Dave, that I'm sure many would be interested to hear, not to put you on the spot, but is there a piece of film music over the years you've conducted in a concert hall where maybe the reaction from the audience has, has surprised you or 
or uh, you know you expected something different or i mean i know it's probably a tough question but it's just uh, out of interest well I, you get sort of addicted to applause i mean I, i'm not a huge applause person i find it a little fascist i don't know how to you know it's my own like you know loony thing but you do you do you do listen to the reaction you there, there's no your reaction is applause so when you don't get applause you just don't you just don't know and and obviously not everything ends with a bang you know and yes. and it's it's a you know it's the it's the thing in, in amadeus <laughs> when Salieri says to Mozart, you you don't even know how to give the Viennese the the ending and he says oh I should take lessons from you you know how to how, how to bang the ending for you know applause. so um and and you know and this is all John's music and you know he has to struggle with you know we all even John Williams you know you 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 doubt yourself it's you know it's 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 less hard with somebody else's music but John's always doing they're mostly doing, you know, his own, his own music, but, and, and I don't know when that was AI. What, do you remember? Was that recently? Well, that or? Been, yeah, no, it would be 2003 or four. It was yeah. soon after the film's so, release. I, it's, it's a substantially different world right now than it, than it was then. I think, I don't know. Hmm. A, what did he do? If it is it, but AI has been done, right? There's a, there's a, did he do the end title with the vocal? What did he do? Yes. Yes, there's there. I, I think John Williams was, did once at the ball, just once the. I think the finale cue that is called the reunion, which is a okay, big piano did. piano solo piece with the strings, and then there's the end credits, which is the same theme but arranged for soprano and orchestra, yeah, like a yeah. wordless lead, basically. Yeah. Was it was a boy soprano? Wasn't it in the film, or was it a girl in the film? I think uh, it's, it's a woman. It's, it's a woman. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and this is interesting because I think that, and maybe Tim, you can give us some more some more insight in it because I mean you you had recently a lot of access to John Williams in the sense that you spoke with him several times for your book project, and uh, I mean I guess this subject you know film music in concert being brought up by him and you as well. I mean, what are John Williams' stances on this subject? You know, yeah, it's um, we've we've spoken about it many many times, and I want to be careful not to speak for him because I, I so I <clears throat> I'll try to convey it without without putting words in his mouth. Uh, but it's a complicated issue, and I think he has very complicated feelings about it. Um, I think I, he obviously it's been a it's been a passionate project for him to present not just his own film music but the film music that he loves Bernard Herrmann, Alex North several others that 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 was important to him once he had a platform with the Boston Pops to present the best of film music in the in the setting in the context of a Pops concert which as you pointed out is a different kind of animal than a traditional symphonic concert in the way that that's structured which meant that it tended to be toward leaning towards these kind of concert versions of themes these kind of anthems or fanfares or waltzes or sort of fitting a theme from a film into a kind of established pops, uh, you know. Like a miniature, like yeah. a miniature, yes. symphonic miniature, yes. So, which made sense. He also was competing with the atmosphere of the pops, which a lot of people don't understand. These were summer concerts 
that where they cleared out all the all the chairs, they put in chairs and tables and people were loudly eating and drinking during the concert. A lot of the musicians were there under duress. There were older musicians who were forced by their contract to play the music when they they really didn't want to be there. They're playing a lot of music, not not film music particularly, but kind of the same old standard repertoire they were tired of. So it was a really odd like entry point for him as a conductor to try to present film music. He had to fight with the musicians' apathy and, and wanting to present things that, that they would hate playing and the audience's distraction. And so it kind of, and it, it was the right place at the right time because he was writing Star Wars and E.T. Yeah. and Raiders of the Lost Ark, all the like themes that people knew on the street. These were like pop tunes of the day. Like everybody knew these, these melodies. So he was the perfect person to do it. And it kind of lent, I mean, his themes lent themselves to let's do the theme from Star Wars or whatever in a, in a kind of pop setting was perfect. But I think he, he kind of maintained that attitude and that approach. The Hollywood Bowl is similar. The Hollywood Bowl has a kind of similar atmosphere. And you want these kind of uplifting, fun, play the hits kind of things. So he might he might fold in something a little more obscure. He usually introduces a theme from his newest film, but he knows that the people want to hear Star Wars, the Imperial March, E.T. And so it kind of I, I think it kind of hemmed him into this this attitude about how to present film music in concert. The way that that's sort of broken out recently is these live to picture uh, programs where you can actually hear all of E.T., all of Jurassic Park, all of Star Wars with the picture, which presents opportunities and challenges and challenges. Um, but I don't know that John. I, I, I think John is interested in this idea of presenting things as written or presenting thing presenting a score in a more long form uh method without picture but he but he's very clear that there's a logistical hurdle that this these these scores are in either they're in shambles yeah. and and aren't playable or it's a bunch of strung together cues that aren't meant to be performed in concert so they they start funny they end early and it's hard to know how to piece all that together into a concert form. Yes, yes. And there are and also performances issues, I think, because if you think about, you know, something that, I mean, like the final 20 minutes of Hook, you know, the whole Ultimate War sequence, which features mind-blowing swashbuckling music, I guess it would be very hard to perform live in concert because it plays straight 20 minutes of loud, fast, challenging music. Yes, but... I mean, the argument is that he, I mean, he's an arranger himself and he uses arrangers to, to make things playable and presentable in, in a concert. I think all this requires is an arranger uh, to, to take these scores and, and build them into a 30 minute suite or, or something where you, you're presenting it more as, as, as intended for the score, but making it playable for the musicians and making it sort of programmable for an audience. And that, I think that's the next leap. And I think he's open to that, but it's, it's not the way he's thought of film music traditionally. And I, it, it's just, it, it's, it's sort of an uncharted territory in a lot of ways. So, yeah. you know, there's a thing, Tim, I don't know if we ever talked about this, um, you know, Eddie Powell, the arranger for Herbie Spencer, well, you know, those guys are, um, I know for my father, they used to write, a theme and then he would give it to Eddie Powell 
and say, make, make it a big theme. And so Eddie Powell would take the theme and kind of do, Tim, what you're talking about, though it was in the movie, it would be like the end of the movie or an end title or something, and kind of expand it into a set piece. Because sometimes in a film, there is a, there is a, set, a, a set piece. So um, I know John, is uh, as Tim said, is, is aware, it, he wasn't a ranger and he's aware of that and he's aware of the skill of all that. But there's also, there's a big DNA of the whole golden age of this, of arrangers and people writing and expanding and making things more palatable in various situations. Yeah, absolutely. And also I think it, it ties to the, uh, what I was saying before, the performance aspect. I mean, film music more often than not is written very quickly and is performed when the ink on the page is still wet and, and sometimes literally, <laughs> because especially back in the day when everything was done, you know, by pencil or ink and, and, and it's performed, it put in front of the musician and they start to play it and, and it comes alive and it's always something so magical to me to understand how everything works because out of something very specific and very sometimes the, the even the artistic decision are made out of a very specific necessity of what works with the images and with the other sound components of the film but then it becomes something else it becomes art in my opinion and to expand on this i have a very small very short uh, musical example to play and it's a cue by Alfred Newman from the movie The Robe and the cue is called uh, The Map of Jerusalem.
I, I think this is a astonishing example of of the quality that was. I mean, this is the 20th Century Fox Orchestra. I didn't specify before introducing the piece, and it was Alfred Newman conducting. And and this is ties back to what we were saying before about the importance of the performance aspect. So how challenging it would be to perform this kind of cue in a concert today, Dave? Would you be happy to to conduct it (laughs) in any way? Um, That cue is really called Diana's Farewell. It starts with this map of Jerusalem. It's 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 the love scene, basically. Um, you know, the, the major minor thing. Um, I've done this before. This actually sounds pretty good. I mean, you can hear all the rubato and the phrasing. You can hear the violins sound like uh, 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 no. They never take any breath. It's one big long line. They always know where they're going. So all, all these are really difficult to get. Um, orchestras to do. Also, in Alfred Newman's style, there's uh, the, uh, Bernard Herman made a joke. <laughs> there are always counter melodies. There's there's the the main melody, and then there's the the the, the counter melody in that weaves in and out of it, and it's sort of an unusual thing. And he would pay more attention to the counter melody almost than the melody, almost to the point of distraction. Um, sometimes I think Bernard Bernard Herman made some kind of comment that it just you know, he'd end up he'd end up spending more time in the counter melody than the than the melody, and sometimes the counter melody would become the melody, and that you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, you know, that would be, you know, that was that we played that at our wedding. Um, we had, we actually my my wife and I we got married. In oh, I did know that. Or, we had a full orchestra at our wedding because we were all buddies. You know, we were all working musicians. Um, <clears throat> It, it's lovely live. It was in a church. It sounded gorgeous. Um, so, you know what's harder would be like Song of Bernadette, if you know the little grotto scene, the little scherzo, or, um, or you know, anything, uh, the beginning of Bernadette, which is sort of like Parsifal, um, or Weather, Weathering Heights is virtually impossible it's it's like a big uh, the the trouble with alfred newman is it's all like chamber music for a big orchestra which has a certain thing where there's just nothing's ever simple it's just not simple beat one two three four even though it's written that way um the way it's performed is just there's all this rubato going back you know ebbing and ebbing and flowing i mean it is it is a beautiful piece it's sort of a good example of 50s Alfred Newman and that orchestra. Also, the sound of the strings, that's CinemaScope. So that has the four mag heads, I think. is um, it, uh, CinemaScope like had two mag tracks on either, on either edge. So it was definitely a, um, a, a, a step forward with audio recording. Um, the resolution, frankly, yes. It's not, it, and, but quite frankly, like I was saying, I was listening to the Count of Monte Cristo in 1935. Most orchestra music sounds how it sounds, depending on where you put the microphones. So it's really important where you, and, and when you have a studio like UA, um, which is, you know, was probably the best studio in LA, it's gone now, um, or Fox, and you're there every day for 20 years, you eventually figure out how to set it up. And everybody knows where they're going to sit and how to play and and, and and all that. So a lot of 
of it is that. A lot of it is also the violins and bows and cellos and violas and bows. You could get a Stradivarius. The, the, the uber violins are in, instruments are like Stradivarius, which everybody's heard of, but also Guarneri del Jesus. They were affordable for these musicians and the bows, the French bows. And I cannot tell you what a difference that makes. Having good actual instrument, you know, a brass instrument's a brass instrument. A, a, a woodwind instrument is, they're modern. They don't, you, you don't want an 18th century brass. <laughs> violins are this bizarro, uh, violins, violas, cellos, basses have this bizarro thing that they just, they tend to get better. There are makers that are way better than other makers, and there are millions of them. And there's an historical precedent, and now they're so expensive that the only way you can play them is the orchestra will buy some of them over the years or have them and loan them out, and maybe a soloist can get an instrument from a foundation, but almost nobody can own one of these instruments. I bet a third to a half of these orchestras have these great instruments and bows. And it made a difference, you know? So. Um, it, I, I think that's why, and, it, and, and, and this sense of phrasing and rubato and emotion, that it, it, we are not in a culture, I think, of, of hyper emotion in terms of what, we, what, they, what artist people would call sentiment, sentimentality. They would say this just sounds overly sentimental, yes. right? Mm -hmm. And so you have mm -hmm. to combat that and you can't just have them slide around, you know, it's a it's a mindset, you know. It's the beauty of the sound. It's the vibrato. It's it, it's all being together and listening, you know. So anyway, blah blah blah. It's but, a, it's a very <laughs> no, but no, it's it's a very very valid point. I mean, because at the very start of that cue, and what was so noticeable in in today's kind of soundscape is is that wonderful vibrato from the woodwinds, you know, which you just, you just don't hear. And I mean, and I think the odd exception, and I, I'm sure you've both seen. I know, Mauricio, you have. Uh, the Boys in the Boat, where you've got Alexander Splat's this lovely main title sequence where, where the music's actually allowed to talk. I was going to ask David, um, now Alfred Newman sadly passed away before he, he was able to hear the, the Charles Gerhardt National Philharmonic Classic Film Score album, which is just so, I mean, it was my introduction, you know, to, to his to his music in the, in the 70s. Now, that's a very different sound. I mean, this is a very yeah. big kind of Kingsway Hall you know, very big acoustic, almost like a concert hall sound. Do you think your father would have disapproved of that kind of, um, was he very much more into the kind of close mic? I think dry he was, sound I, I, I know that the few times he conducted at the bowl where he conducted the LA Phil and, and I think he did a few other things. It was never very satisfying or successful for him. Um, I think he preferred, remember he came from a pit orchestra in the 20s in New York. He was a very successful um, Broadway conductor. He wasn't a composer at all. He didn't really start composing until he came to Hollywood. And he was very much helped by um, Salinger and, um, and Eddie Powell and um, helped him learn how to, how to um, compose. So I think he's more, he's more of a pit band-ish expanding out a pit band kind of um, aesthetic uh, and chamber music. And I say, okay, so the Cleveland Orchestra under Zell used to talk about this, about um, Zell used to try to, you know, they were a great 
orchestra. I mean, they're still a great orchestra. But Zell would, Zell's aesthetic, George Zell's aesthetic was, cha- you know, chamber music. You, 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 chamber music, you play in a certain way. It, it's very integrated with all the lines that are going on. It's, it's not soloist here, soloist there. Then it's a, it's a very integrated, or, or for want of a better word, it has a sense of intimacy in it. It's not a big, broad thing. Not, not, not all Alfred Newman's like this, of course. But these pretty uh, dialogue, dramatic movies are 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 this. There, there's a lot of solo playing. There's a lot of high cello. There's a lot of where the bottom is not cellos; it's basses. So the cellos are way up in tenor, and the basses are the bottom, maybe with trombones or other things to do it. And and so it it's sort of height. I don't want to get into the weeds, but it's a very odd way of orchestrating Alfred Newman that I haven't seen. Steiner doesn't do that. Tomkin doesn't do that. Obviously, Korngold doesn't. Um, maybe Bernard Herman do, uh, but Bernard Herman's so much more, more modern than my than my father. But I think his sense was this kind of uh, chamber music buzzing, you know, ebb and flow. Like it, 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 even when it's straight, the melody's going, you can hear the strings holding back on a certain beat, but it doesn't sound like they stop. It's like, a, and in other words, think of, he would say, not, 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 and this is, this is all I'll say about it. Hi, Yasha, Yasha Heifetz and Georg Patagorsky were the famous soloists of the day. Violin, Heifetz, Patagorsky. He said if he could have had an entire orchestra of Heifetz and Patagorsky, that's what he would have done. <laughs> so that gives you an idea. It's, it's, it, it's all soloistic playing, but chamber soloistic playing, blending and everything. So a soloist is never going to phone it in ever. And this is the thing that everybody combats with an orchestra is they they just want to go to the lowest co- it, it's not that they want to it's just it's always the lowest common denominator it's the slowest person the person that is a little bit behind the beat everybody gravitates towards them because it's the only way to stay together and alfred newman that would drive him insane he would you, you just get tossed out if you do that until you have the group that you want and they will do what you want. But then you go do the LA Phil or do somebody else and they're not, they don't know what you're talking about. They, they, you know, so that's a little bit of a long, uh, uh of, of saying that, but I think it's, um, it's an odd style that isn't really, there's nothing in common. I don't think with any of the others, though it was the same orchestra, it doesn't sound all that different, but it is really profoundly different. I think his, his, Stuff. Therefore, it I, I I find it mostly very unsatisfying, unless it's like Captain Castile or How the West Was Won or any of the jazz things would sound great. You know that street scene would mm-hmm. sounds great in concert. Stuff like that is fine. You know. Yeah, but the reason no, why, brilliant. yeah, yeah, this is so so fascinating, and this is the kind of insight that I like to share with people listening to this because I think it's so key. Also, it, and it ties to John Williams as well because I think he has always been one of the composers in Hollywood who was so key in terms of you know, achieving a, a kind a certain kind of level of performance in his scores. I mean, even I'm thinking about all the instances where uh, he had 
some great solo writing in some of his scores. I mean, I've talked with many of his LA musicians that played for him for many years in the orchestras, and many of them did have to be up to the challenge to perform his music because it wasn't <laughs> the easiest stuff to to have on this on the music stand. Yeah, yeah, it's not it's not um, easy. John's a really great orchestrator, and John's my take on John's aesthetic is he he thinks from the beginning orchestrally so what that means is he wants everything to sound good okay so the example is like Brahms you you can tell like Brahms is composing on a piano he's just composing music he, he's not really all that interested in who's going to play the music till later now this isn't always the case but like Stravinsky would be the absolute opposite. He would only think of the color. Uh, he would think of the color alongside the music itself. So Alfred Newman's stuff isn't really orchestrated to, to be kind of foolproof. John's music is almost foolproof. Like when you sit there on e I was playing ET, it just sounds good immediately. Now, of course, it's hard, and it's not that you don't make mistakes and blah, 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 but it's so expertly orchestrated from, from the get-go. Um, that's the aesthetic, you know? Now, you might compare that to Goldsmith, who is not like that. So Goldsmith took a bit of, it, it just wasn't as clear, like, what, line should be up and down and and this doubling how does this balance and and all the intricacies of, of you know you guys have all been to sessions you can hear what they're well at least sessions 20 years ago you can hear what they're taught you know can this be a little softer can that be a little loud you know da 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 da, da. um john's just was always i mean i i played on a a few maybe four or five films and and yeah. So sitting there can really tell. It just just pops. Everything sounds great. Mm. And then, you know, then it's it's getting the performance and you know, doing all that that stuff. Um, but not every film composer is 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 like that. You know, some of them are harder to make sound good than 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 others. Like Korngold, you'd think is a really great orchestrator, but it's hard to make it sound good. It's so thick and there's so much going on that you have to make some choices about what's what's happening. Tiomkin's another one that's really hard to make sound good because it it it's um it's just, it's just mass of I, I think the way yeah. he composed it is like a mass of orchestra that that he would then tacit instruments as he listened. You know, it wasn't really thought of like is a finished orchestral piece. It was it was kind of made up as it as it went it went if that makes sense. Anyway, that's my experience. That was my experience with the that Telark album in the eighties. Was you know I got all the Tom Tompkins scores for it's it's a wonderful life, and um, I wasn't experienced enough to freaking know this, and so it was just a mess to try to figure it out, which we did eventually. But you know because you have the soundtrack to to relate it to. But anyway. I feel like I'm talking too much, so. <laughs> no, but, but it's all it's, 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 it's yeah. good content. Good it's, content. It, it's absolutely fascinating, David, to hear you talk about this stuff because, I mean, this is really the meat and potatoes of, 
of what makes film music repertoire really worth exploring because there's so much to to go through, especially great film music like the ones that you are going to conduct with the LA Film. And and do you have any specific piece that you are going to perform, that you're going to conduct, uh, that is particularly dear for you in the program? Well, Spartacus is my one of my favorite, of course. Yeah, of, of, I'd love to do Spartacus is a live movie, but of course it's it's a weird movie, you know. I mean, it's got a lot of great things and it's got a lot of bizarre things, but the score is just like, you know, and what is it, three hours? It's over three hours, I think. Yeah, I think it's Again, so some, somebody up in the administration would have to say it's worth it. It's worth the overtime, it's worth the rehearsal. You know, the orchestra is probably 120 people, so it's worth adding 30 people but if i had my druthers if i was working at an orchestra i would absolutely program um spartacus because i think it's one of the most important scores of the 20th century it's a it's a it's it's a it's a, it's, a, it's a score in the middle of modernism and golden age and it has that one of the greatest themes love themes of all time it, it's it's the most it has the most pathos and beauty and i i i i, I it really is it really is my almost my favorite theme like that in all of the literature. So um, and I'm gonna do um I do like Once Upon a Time in the West of Morricone. I'm not a Morricone fanatic like many are, but I do love that scene at the beginning of Once Upon a Time in the West. I think that is as the camera goes over magical. Mm. And my my daughter Diana Newman is gonna sing the the thing and it's right in her wheelhouse because it's high and she has a beautiful high um soprano voice um so i'm i've never well actually i did do i did that in vienna once but um you know and 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 i'm i'm, I'm excited to do tom's thing too i, I the the, mm. the the piece from 1970 i think tom has a lot of music that could be um it needs to be arranged a little bit to your point tim like like stuff like that like like Elfman's some of you know say Hans's stuff or that kind of stuff works really well, but it needs to be it needs to be figured out because there's so much electronics. But it's it's easy to figure it out. There's there's your whole class, Tim, or or a class at, at, at a university could figure it out. They could engrave it, you know, take it down and do the, the whole thing. There's yes. there's plenty of people to do this. It's just money. So there, there's some great orchestrators anyway. out, out there who could, you know, yeah. who could yeah. be able to arrange yeah. for properly for symphony orchestra. And, and it's yeah. interesting that you mentioned that piece by Thomas Newman from 1917. It's because it's the only piece in the program that is fairly recent because all the yeah. rest is quite old <laughs> in the sense yeah. that well, it seems that there's some kind of a gap at, at some point in Hollywood film music where the more traditional orchestral symphonic, let's call it this way, repertoire has gone, gone more, has become a kind of a thing of the past. Of course, there are still great orchestral film score being written as, as we speak, basically. But it seems like it's something that belongs more in the past than it is Part of yeah, but these are it, they're, they're solvable problems. I mean, there are a lot of you know. Look, I, what percentage of scores deserve being played in concert? What would like point point one percent or you know? And and it's like what percent of classical music is played? Like point oh 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 one percent for the last three hundred years. You just have to find 
you have to find the right stuff. And, and, yes. it, it, but none of these are, they, they used to be daunting issues. None of this is a daunting issue. Now there's enough technology. There's enough people that are, that are trained enough to do this, to, to do anything. You know, it's just a matter of getting the materials and having the will to do it and a reason to do it. You know, there should be a film concert of the films of 2020 or 20, I, I don't know, you know, I always thought there should be an Academy Awards concert of all the five nominated scores. I think they tried it once, but it was probably silly. You know, it should be it, it should be something really serious. You know, um, and with with you know, uh, you know, people like Tim interv interviewing them and you know, getting into the weeds of what it is. Yes. Like Tim is saying, using it as an education as to why are these films nominated? What are what what about them? Are interesting, you know, because they're nominated by musicians supposedly in the branch until they get, so so the five films that are nominated are are not nominated by the general public. They're nominated by their peers. So yes. what about them are are you know are interesting? Uh, you know, so I don't know. We did a concert. Maybe we can we can end with this because I probably need to go in a sec. But in 1989, when I was working at Sundance, we did a film music concert. I don't know if you guys know about it. Tim, you know about it, right? The the one we did at Royce Hall. That's where I did the main title of Spartacus with, um, with um, film. We did it, and Alex was there. Alex North was there. It was right before he died, and we didn't know if he was going to come, and he came. And at the end, nobody knew he was there. And at the end, he stood up, and the audience, and it, it was like a a a a list. It was all it was all the big directors and Spielberg and and. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, Redford and, and, you know, and, 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 you know, Mancini conducted and Maurice Jarre conducted and George Delarue conducted. It was like an Academy Award film music concert. That's what an wow. Academy Award, if you're going to do it, that's what it should be done. Or like do a really in-depth with seminars or stuff thing like Tim would curate or something of the scores, you know, the, 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 the five scores, um, but you know, it's expensive and it's difficult and no one really even gives it a, a thought really, you know, so we'll, we'll see, um, these, these movies now do sell tickets in, in live events. So it's hard to ignore it as much yes. as a lot of the marketing departments and orchestras would like to ignore it. They can't really ignore it. So we'll see where it, where it all, where it all goes. But, um, yeah. Well, the, the, yeah. these concerts on the the second, the third, and the fourth, uh, it's, it's great that you have three dates. That's tremendous. And then you've got yeah. Superman. You you were alluding earlier to the fact of playing yeah. the whole, you know, score to the film. Yeah. I mean, that's Superman that's a great and Jurassic example. Park. Yeah, brilliant. Yes, and Jurassic Park. They're in March, yeah, I think, aren't that, they? Um, so yeah, Dudamel, Dudamel did E. T. and he's going to do Jurassic Park, which is a bitch to do sorry it's so hard um <laughs> and um and then i think uh tom wilkinson is gonna do who's um does a lot of conducting you know does the hollywood bowl or he's gonna do superman which is terrific score you know oh god yeah i mean that's golden yeah yeah so anyway it's it's all it's all it, it's it, you know fingers crossed and if anybody has any maybe i should do the end of hook has anyone ever done that 
few maybe 10 well, minutes there, there, there's a there's a truncated one that you guys remember that Conzel did they're a very truncated okay, ultimate war but it's uh it's about five minutes yeah and, and i think it was a takedown i think it's not like it, oh definitely thing, yes. yes and williams hates takedowns as yeah, you, yeah. As you <laughs> all right know. well i can't tim, tim send me a bunch of stuff just you know and and i think you reminded me again tim so send me send me send me what you want to do I'd, I'd like to. I, I'm. I'm going to try to figure it out next month. I have another month to think about we, it. We so, keep. We um, keep the channel open. I think, and we can exchange yeah. a few ideas. Maybe. Because... Maybe. Maybe even some of your listeners may can send you notes and send them along. I'm. I'm. I'm open to whatever. It just has to have never been done. It needs to be a premiere. Yeah. So that that's absolutely the, uh, a, nice, a great nice a great promise a great look toward towards to the. What the, yeah. the future can hold, and yeah. I really, I really want to thank you, Dave, for being yeah. so open and so, uh, you know, going so in depth about this subject because it's really what for me film music is about, and the ap appreciation of film music is about is having people understand better what makes this repertoire worth of being discussed and performed and listened and studied because there's so much work to do, and and I'm so happy that. Film music has a great ambassador like you, and also Tim as well, throughout oh, yeah. his work as a connoisseur. Definitely. Well, that, that's the thing. It's like going to the cinema as well, isn't it, gents? You know, you, you have to experience it with people, and, and it's the same with music. You know, experiencing this music we all love with an audience is second yes. to none. It's, yeah. it's so special. So thank yeah. you for flying the flag, great. as they say. Yeah. No, I mean, and thank you guys for doing this, and Tim... Is uh, as well as you know, uh, journalist. Is uh, thank you for being an educator and taking all the time to go and slog through with that age group, which can be, I know, sometimes a little daunting um, because it's the 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 way these films are edited, and you know, it's hard it's hard for that age group that it, that's grown up on um, social media and TikTok and stuff to to um, to do it. They it 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 needs people that'll that'll really take them through it. So I appreciate that, Tim, that you do that, that you take your time to do that as well. So, and you guys to do this is great. And thank thanks you. for having me. Appreciate thank it. you. Thank you, Dave. Right. You have been a See wonderful you. guest. Thanks so much. Thank Dave. you so much. Appreciate thank it. you, Tim. Thank you, Tim. My pleasure. Thank you, Tim G. Yes. Look, can't wait to read your book. It's uh, eagerly awaited. 2026, is that right? We'll see. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's, let's, do, let's go for 2025. I'll try. Okay, good. Okay, good, good, good. Thank Bye you, guys. everyone. So Thank you. Thank you.